Thanks for tuning in. This is Pastor Julie Lewis from Asbury United Methodist Church in Smyrna, Delaware, where we share the love of God and the good news of Jesus Christ in all we do. We're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. And the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has, he has Beelzebul. And by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside, and they are asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The word of God for the people of God. So, mad as a hatter, insane, not running on all cylinders, nuts, out to lunch, berserk, demented, touched, mental crackers, bonkers, out of your tree, nutty as a fruitcase, and in more recent lingo, cray cray, these are all ways to say that someone is crazy or in more medically compassionate terminology, mentally ill or challenged. Has this ever been said of you or something you decided to do? How did you feel about that? Some of us embrace the crazy of our lives, but some will get discouraged and maybe even give up. But thank God there are some people who had amazing ideas that didn't give up when people called them crazy. And I read an article on Vox by Phil Edwards that listed inventions that changed the world yet were criticized as idiotic. Another way to say crazy. This list included the light bulb, automobiles, bicycles, liquid nail polish, talking movies, (laughs) cheeseburgers, answering machines, laptops, and wasn't on the list, but definitely thought to be a pipe dream, the internet itself. So it can be good for people in the long run for someone somewhere to be considered crazy. Yet, 
We know that mental health is a real issue and not some one-liner to make us laugh or inspire us to dream of bigger and better things. In our passage today, people are calling Jesus crazy. And it's not meant to be a positive thing. It's meant to keep people from listening to him, from putting their faith in him. And if you read the series of events that come before, it's really meant to destroy him. Because they don't only say he's crazy, they say he's demon-possessed. And that's what people thought about mental illness back then, that the reason they were crazy was because they weren't in their right minds. We use that terminology today, too. That they were under the control of demons. We've read the stories of Jesus casting out demons, especially the man in the cemetery. Remember him? He had 2,000 demons that Jesus sent into the nearby herd of pigs that ran into the sea. Now, the very worst thing you could say to anyone at this time was that they were crazy and demon-possessed. So this is what the scribes are saying about Jesus. Now, Jesus responds with what seems like a threat, telling them that people who blaspheme the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, which is in essence saying they will be condemned forever So what is blasphemy, and what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, and what is he really saying, and what does it mean for people today? Is Jesus just a poor, deluded man believing something that isn't really true? I know there are many people today who think that people who follow Jesus, who call themselves Christians, are crazy. I've heard that faith is the opiate of the masses, something we've made up in our minds to make us feel better, that that helps us manage to get through life a bit happier. What about you? Are you crazy enough to believe in Jesus? Let's just say I pray you are, (laughs) and that I believe it's even crazier not to believe, and that's exactly what I believe Jesus is saying here, so let's talk about that a bit. Now, first, we need to define exactly what is blasphemy and what Jesus means when he talks about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, blasphemy, by the dictionary definition, means to be irreverent to something sacred. In today's passage, to deny God's divinity, to say that God does not exist, and in our case, the Spirit of God revealed in Jesus Christ is actually an unclean spirit. So in saying that Jesus is mad and demon-possessed, they are really labeling the Holy Spirit as evil and unholy. They are saying that Jesus is not from God because in essence, they are denying that what Jesus is doing through the power of the Spirit is the work of God in the world. Blasphemy, not a word we hear too often today. It is a strong word, not just of irreverence, but a denial of something holy and sacred, and in this case, God. Now, if you read the Gospel of Mark straight through, which is the shortest gospel, so if you're going to pick one, that's the good one to start with. You'll see that Mark begins with Christ's arrival as a grown man, ready for baptism. There's no birth story, just a big announcement that Jesus, the Son of God, is here. He bursts onto the scene saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the underlying heart of this entire gospel. Jesus is the kingdom of God brought to the earth. Repent of your sin, receive forgiveness of sins that comes to the world through Jesus. 
Everything Mark reports is intended to help the reader see the truth about who Jesus is and how believing that truth gives us life. He also goes to extraordinary lengths to help us understand that not believing will bring death. We all have a choice, life or death. And that choice is made when we decide whether or not Jesus is truly the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Yeah, you don't even have to read Mark's gospel. That is all of it in a nutshell. (laughs) No, you do. After Jesus calls his disciples, the first story Mark relates is how Jesus goes to the synagogue in Capernaum and sees a man with an unclean spirit. He casts out that spirit, and the crowds are amazed. He later spends the entire evening healing the sick and casting out demons from that whole town, and he becomes a rock star. Everyone wants to know him and touch him so they can be healed. This raises the hackles of those scribes who come to see what's going on. They come to hear him speak. And the next scene is Jesus teaching in a home that is so crowded that when four friends try to bring a man for healing, they have to cut a hole in the roof and let him down to get him close enough for Jesus to touch him. And if you know that story, you may or may not remember that the first thing Jesus does is to say, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't just heal him and make him walk, which is why those friends brought him in the first place, right? At this, though, the scribes are outraged because Jesus, in their minds, has just committed blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And to think a human being can do what God can do is the ultimate blasphemy in their eyes. Here's that blasphemy again. Who is blaspheming who? Then later in Mark, just before our passage this morning, Jesus is once again in the synagogue. And this time he sees a man with a withered hand and they are watching him. Now I assume the they are the scribes and the Pharisees that have just accused him of working on the Sabbath because he plucked some grain to eat as he walked through a field. Now, here we are on the Sabbath, and they are watching to see if he will violate those Sabbath laws again. He says to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or to kill? And here scripture says that Jesus looked at them and was angry because they were so hard of heart. This is one of only two times we hear that Jesus was described as being angry. So this must be an important moment. He gives them a choice, and their choice is really a decision of their belief about the heart of God. Is God a loving God or a God of wrath and rules? They refuse to see that God isn't concerned about following rules as much as God is concerned with our well-being and how we treat each other and how we love each other. They refuse to see the true heart of God and how God works for our good. He heals the man's hand, restores it to good working order, which transforms this man's life. Who couldn't be happy about that? Well, people who can't or won't see God at work in the world, can't or won't see the hand of God at work in Jesus, and who say that the spirit at work in him is evil, unclean, and unholy. 
So in essence, they are denying God themselves, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which is the presence of God working in the world, making all those miracles possible. And Jesus tries to help them see their grievous error. Even though he's angry, he does try to get them to see the truth of the situation. They accuse him of being demon-possessed, that he casts out demons in the name of the ruler of demons, Satan himself. And he tries to help them see how crazy it is to think that way. Why would Satan want to cast out his own demons? It doesn't make sense. It would be like shooting your own army in a battle. You can't win a war that way. And we know that Satan is fighting against God in the world. But then Jesus points out that if he is demon-possessed, a servant of the devil, then obviously he would not have the power to overthrow Satan. You can't rob a man in his own home unless you have subdued him and asserted power over him. That must mean that Christ is stronger, has more power than Satan if he has the power to cast out demons. I can't be on the side of the evil one and also be working against him. I would have no power over him if I weren't God in the flesh, all-powerful. And it is the power of the Holy Spirit that gives me that ability. When you call me evil, you are really calling the Holy Spirit evil, not acknowledging that the Spirit is the presence of God working in the world. Can't you see what God is doing To deny that this is the work of God is to deny God, and this is blasphemy, unforgivable blasphemy. So what does he mean, though, when he says it's unforgivable, an unforgivable sin? This is a question that has literally haunted me at times. I rely on the promise that all sins are forgiven when we put our faith in Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is that when we repent of our sins and put our faith in Christ, we receive forgiveness of our sins, all of them, and are forgiven and free. We receive eternal life. So how can it be that there is a sin that is unforgivable, that this one is unforgivable? Well, I don't know for sure. I'm still working that out. But what I do know is that we can't receive forgiveness until we repent of our sins and put our faith in Christ. And we will never do that until we acknowledge in our hearts that God exists, that Jesus is God in the flesh who lived and died and rose from the dead in the power of the Holy Spirit. So if we aren't able to believe that, then we are just like those scribes, blind to the work of God in the world, unable to see what is right in front of us. And if we can't see God working in the world through the Spirit, then we won't repent. We won't acknowledge our need for a Savior, and forgiveness will never be ours. His words here aren't a threat, just the truth of the situation. We will be guilty of eternal sin as long as we refuse to acknowledge the divinity of God that we see in Jesus Christ and made manifest by the Spirit as the presence of God in the world. We can never be forgiven if we can't receive that forgiveness by faith in Jesus Christ. As long as we deny God, deny Jesus, deny the Spirit, we remain in our sin. I do believe that all sins are forgiven when our hearts are changed 
and open to Jesus. And when we repent and believe, our God is a God of grace. And scripture tells us over and over that he desires that all will live, that none should perish. He made a way through the cross. And I don't believe God will turn his back on any of his children. But as long as we blaspheme the spirit through our unbelief, we are separated from God, the source of life and forgiveness. But that denial can come in so many ways. The scribes refused to believe that those healings that Jesus did were acts of God. How many times are we faced with struggles in our lives? And when it works out for our good, we deny that God was the one who caused it to turn out that way. Ah, it's just a coincidence. It was my hard work that made it happen. How many times are our prayers answered and we fail to recognize that God has indeed heard our prayer and worked in that situation because of that prayer? How many times do we refuse to believe that God still casts out demons and that someone we call evil can be transformed by the grace of God? We refuse to forgive someone for their actions and actually call for God to condemn and not forgive them. This is an act of blaspheming the Holy Spirit as we deny that God is here to forgive and restore. When we deny God's grace to others, when we see human beings, other human beings as less valuable or not worthy of God's grace, we are in essence blaspheming the work that Christ came to do. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that makes us whole, that restores us to the image of God. And to deny that work in others, that it's even a possibility, or to even work against the Spirit, well, I think you know. Jesus came to show us the love of God. He came in the flesh to be that love, to show us how to love, to love God and to love one another. And when we put our faith in Christ, we are putting our faith in God. And God is love. The Holy Spirit is the heart of that love that lives within us. The presence of God that works in and through every believer. To love is to be connected to God, the source of all life. To deny love to anyone is to cut ourselves off from the source of life. To deny that love is to deny the greatest power in the universe. When we love, we become part of one another. When we refuse to love or to be loving, we are separating ourselves from God, and God's house becomes divided. So live in love, refuse to be divided. See the power of God at work in the world. It is all around you, you just have to look. And people will still say you're crazy to believe, to have faith in God, to have faith in Jesus and to be loving in all situations. But you can tell them, yep, they said that about Jesus too. I am possessed, but I'm possessed by the power of love. And that may be crazy, but it's the only way to live. Amen. And now 
We're going to celebrate the meal that he gave us to celebrate that love that he has for us. So if you will get your elements ready. If you want, you can follow along with the liturgy. It is in your bulletin, or but you don't really need to. You can just listen. We are invited to the table where we come to know and experience God and to learn to love God and our neighbors well. Where we no longer have to search because we know that God is present with us in the bread and the cup. Where we know God invites us to start over and over again each new day. Today we come to the table knowing that we have been loved well and that we are called to join in the dance of holy love that binds all creation together. We come to this table knowing that no one on earth deserves a place at the table in the holy presence of God, yet we are loved and invited just the same. As we prepare our hearts for this precious life-nourishing meal, let us in the silence of our hearts confess our sins and let our loving God have his way with them. Please take a moment of silent prayer. And the good news is that all those sins are forgiven and we are free. Through the power of Christ's death on the cross, and the love poured out on us all, we are forgiven and have a place at the table in the very heart of God. Thank you, God. Blessed are you, God of all creation, source of love and mercy beyond all measure. It is fitting and right to thank you, to have hearts full of gratitude and praise and to adore you. For you have wondrously created heaven and earth, hovering in gracious care over all that you have made. You formed us as your image of love in the world. Yet even more wondrously, when we distorted your image, you called us back again and again, forgiving us, delivering us from captivity to sin and death, feeding, healing, reconciling, making covenant, and setting before us the way which leads to life. The image of God that you have placed within each human heart beats with life, a life that lives forever in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. We praise the Holy Spirit that reveals that image to us, marks us all as your children, and shows the world who you are and what you do all around us. Therefore, with your people in all ages, one with the saints and the whole community of heaven, we join the glad song of unceasing praise to you. Holy God. On the night... And he loved, us, he loved well for us and for the world. He at the table with those who would desert and deny him. He took bread, gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when supper had ended, he took the cup and he gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you for this is my cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it 
in remembrance of me. Therefore, remembering Christ's life of ministry and love, his suffering, death, and resurrection, his ascending to glory and his abiding presence through the power of your spirit, the God revealed within us as we love more and more. We come to your table with these gifts of your love as we proclaim the mystery of faith that Christ has died, Christ is risen from the dead, and Christ still lives. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here, however we are gathered, in Christ's name. And upon these gifts and so feed us that we may become one with you, one with each other, and our lives will be a holy offering of love to you. Transform us into the image and likeness of Christ that we may faithfully love others in his name. And we look forward to the final feast in which all shall be gathered as one at your table through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, and in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory and blessing is yours, almighty God, now and forever.